Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. This is Mark Warner. As always, I'll be joined by Chris Lisa. Today, we got a good show for everybody. Rob Soria is joining us, author of Connor McDavid, Hockey Next Great One, also a writer for the Edmonton Oilers at thehockeywriters.com, where we're going to try and break down and, and look at what's going on in Edmonton this season, not as expected. Everybody stay tuned. Of course, we're going to break down all the VGK news and notes as we go down the Vegas lane. And Chris and I will take a look around the league at the news of the week. So stay with us. We'll be right back. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Uh, as I said, I'm Mark Warner. Let me bring in my esteemed co-host out on Long Island, Chris Lisa. Good day to you, sir. Good day to you, sir. How are we doing over there? We're doing pretty good. We're trying another setup yet again this week. We're uh, so far so good, I guess. We'll see how it progresses through the uh, through the hour and holds up. <laughs> hopefully better than the last week. Yeah, hopefully uh, we we can all be doing as good as the Knights. I mean, uh, they, they went in San Jose hey, the other night, uh, finished, finished the six game road trip, four and two. Uh, I believe they, they enter into action, uh, tonight with, uh, uh, let's see, they have an 11 point lead in the division. Tomorrow. Uh, what's that? Th- they play Philly tomorrow night. They get it. They get a little extra day. Oh, after right. That yeah. Road trip, so, Oh yeah, they have, but they have a 11 game lead in the division. Uh, I believe they even might have a yep. game in hand on that. So um, yeah, I mean they just keep on keeping on. Well, I'll quote Nate Schmidt here: uh, "The house always wins, right?" I mean, <laughs> I, I looked at this road trip, and a lot of people were were a little worried about it. It was, it was a big test, of course. Um, three teams in first place, I believe, when they played. Um, with Washington, Winnipeg, maybe not Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh in playoff position. Calgary was in playoff position. Minnesota had a playoff spot. San Jose. So every, everybody on the trip was was a, a playoff opponent, quality quality opponent. And I looked at it. You had two four point games in there: one against Calgary, one against San Jose. And I thought those would be the most important games of the trip. And a little bit of a crazy finish in Calgary got them the two points there, and then you bookend it in San Jose and put them away. So you took care of the two four-point games. You got uh, took care of Winnipeg, took care of Washington. Minnesota was the third game in four nights. Washington was also the back end of another third game in four nights. And they went in early, and, and they started sluggish in Washington. Uh, were able to come back, take care of that game. And then you had the mess in Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, I think I think the key play in that game, there was a Carlson breakaway in the second period that he got stuffed on. And that seemed to shift the momentum. And it's something I won't say about the Knights this season um, too often. You know, after after that breakaway, it looked to me like, they were trying to think the game a little bit. They weren't as fluid as, as we know them to be. Um, their passes were just that much off. Uh, credit to Pittsburgh. They they absolutely wanted to take it to Mark Andre and his return to Pittsburgh. Um, I think the boys 
maybe if you could try too hard, I, I think they were victim of that. And then when when the ball started rolling against them, they couldn't stop it. They couldn't stop the train. That is the Pittsburgh Penguins when they get on a roll. Um, uh, kudos to them. They tried to come back in that game, but it just wasn't wasn't good enough. I, I think for large portions of that game, uh, Pittsburgh was by far the better team. But come home with eight points. It was a very solid week. Now they kick off a homestand uh, seven, seven games at home and eight out of the next nine. And the the two at the end of the seven games are home and home with LA, so that's not uh, that's not too big of a trip, if if you know what I'm saying. It's not uh, not really a, a road trip. They have 17 home games remaining, 11 road games remaining. Um, I don't know if if the numbers are still the same, but I, I put a tweet out earlier this week where the Knights needed 13 points to get to 100. And the eighth spot at the time was Minnesota, and they needed not 13 points. They needed to win 13 games, excuse me. And the Minnesota Wild in the eighth spot needed to win 20 games to pass them at 101. So I'm not going to use the P word. Um, I think they're in great position, if you will. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do the jinx, Chris. But uh, you you come home and you have that dominant of a home schedule the rest of the way with the best home record in the National Hockey League. Um, they're in good position right now. And officially this week, I said uh, in the preseason, this team would be a 75-point team, and they're sitting at 76. So they've they've proved me right. Um, I don't know what else to say. It's a great week for, for, the, for the Golden Knights. Yeah, and the other thing about this trip is toughest was with the competition. I mean – you look at the miles that were covered, you know, starting in Western Canada, going to the central part of the country, go then go to the East Coast, and then swing by California for one last game before heading home. So, uh, you know, that's uh, yeah, it's almost unheard of when you look at other teams. You know, when they go on a long trip, they usually, you know, maybe like I'm thinking of the teams out here out east, and, you know, maybe they'll stop at, you know, Colorado or, you know, somewhere in the middle – you know, Chicago and maybe hit a Colorado and then hit Western Canada. And that would be a very long trip. But this, the, the miles covered uh, on this trip was uh, pretty incredible. And, you know, the other, the other no bit of news, and again, it's more, more good news is um, Craig Button uh, of TSN came out with his uh, latest and greatest top 50 prospects. And again, it's just one man's opinion, obviously, you know, his opinion, he has a lot of, cl- is a lot of clout former GM, uh, you know, big analyst on TSN. So, uh, but, you know, and again, the thing about prospects was they're great uh, to have your guys or the, the teams you root for high up on there, but uh, there's still a ways to go before they become a proven NHLer. But all those disclaimers aside, uh, the Knights, according to Craig Button, have three guys on his list in the top 50 and three in the top uh, 23, and they're all the first-round picks from last year. And he has Cody Glass at, at number four on his list. He has uh, Henrik Borgstrom at uh, – excuse me, not Henrik Borgstrom, Eric Brandstrom, Longstrom. Uh, there you go. Eric Brandstrom at number at – number, and he's got Nick Suzuki at number 23. So, um, you know, that, obviously they've had a good year uh, down below developing. I don't know what it means in terms of – you know, are they going to be ready sometime next year? 
or, you know, we'll be looking at the year after kind of situation. But definitely good news to see uh, those three kids, you know, high on, high on such a list at, at this point in time. Yeah, no question. Further further validation for George McPhee, although it is, like you said, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, the the world's full of, of first-round picks that don't work out, obviously. But, uh, no, uh, the, I was listening in town. Brian Blessing does the Vegas Hockey Hotline here uh, weekdays from 1 to 2 with Dana Lane, and they were talking about that list a little bit. And, and the consensus being, uh, Nick Suzuki, uh, the lowest on Craig Button's list, may be the guy who appears to be most NHL ready and might make his might might make some noise in next year's camp. Um, Brandstrom is playing with the men's league in Sweden, um, and we all saw Brandstrom in in the World Juniors, and uh, continues to impress, continues to improve his his. Uh, Hockey IQ for a defenseman uh, and his offensive abilities certainly would fit in uh, with with what this team does and, and the speed that he has also, um, especially on breakouts and, and his his ability to help the power play. I think maybe not next year, maybe the year after for Branstrom. We'll see in camp, but yeah, definitely definitely good news uh, validates George McPhee and the scouting staff and the work they put in. Uh, putting this team together, sir. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, uh, again, again, from my own team's perspective, I was curious to see where Kiefer Bellows fell, and he he was pretty, he had a good spot on the list as well. But again, it, it's it's no guarantee. I mean, um, either pro or con, just because a player uh, on your team on your team might be a little bit lower on the list, or may not even be on the list at all. I mean, this time last year on the Hockey News' top 50, I, I think they had Bellows outside of it on number 61. And, you know, they kind of had an unusual year at, uh, at in the NCAAs last year. He went back to the WHL this year, and he's had a fantastic year both there and in the World Junior Tournament as, as an example. I mean, a couple – I don't know if it was last year's list, the year before, they had Dylan – the Hockey News had Dylan Strom listed as number one. And, He's still a young kid. He can wind up being uh, an all-star for years to come. But obviously, he is yet to really get it going on the NHL level. I'm not trying to pick on him. But I'm just trying to illustrate, uh, you know, when it comes yeah, to yeah. these lists for everyone, you know, uh, you got to take it with a grain of salt. You know, obviously, it's a, it, it, it's a sure. good step, uh, to say the least. But uh, so, you know, we had some bit of news out Well, anyway, here hey, real, week, real quick. Yeah, real quick. Don't forget your boy Ilya Sorkin. Uh, he made the list there at number seven, one point five eight goals against in a nine point three. So don't don't forget yeah, your boy. Uh, I I I hope that no one's listening in Russia right now because I'm I'm uh, I'm trying to put together a team to uh, get him out of Russia and get him out here to Long Island. Uh, you know, it's Operation. Uh, uh, goaltender is called, so uh, we might make it into a, a, a Netflix series or something like that. So, yeah, that's go. good to see. But uh, uh, yeah, we'll have to see uh, how that all plays out and, and such. But yeah, no, it was a good. Actually, there's three Russian goalies in the in Button's top ten. Uh, the Rangers' top yeah, prospect sure. is a Russian goalie, and the Caps' top prospect is a Russian goalie. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, but speaking of the Rangers this week, they had a, a press conference 
And without saying the word rebuilding, they and without saying that their window has closed, they pretty much said it like they we were talking it. about last week with uh, Lyle Richardson of Spectres Hockey. You should check out that episode uh, on blogtalkradio.com. It should be posted over the weekend at uh, on Russ Cohen Sportsology SoundCloud page as well. But you should check that out. And uh, we were talking about it. And basically, they, they've let their ticket holders, uh, season ticket holders, all know with a personal letter that they're going to be making moves for the future with a, with a mind for the future and, and basically saying that they're going to have to say goodbye to some popular players. So uh, we talked about it last week, Michael Grabner, Rick Nash. Uh, you could throw in Nick Holden, all pending UFAs at the end of the year. It sounds like they're all going to be moved for the best package of picks and prospects. Uh, that they can get, and, you know, Ryan McDonough, who's day-to-day with, with an injury, and Matt Zuccarello, both look like they're going to listen hard to it as well. It sounds like they're signing through next season. So maybe they listen to hard, make some progress on the deal for them, and execute it in the off season. Although Matt Zuccarello to the Sharks would be a good move, I think. But, uh, yeah, so big news out of, uh, out of the Rangers uh, in terms of, how they they how they how they're gonna move forward and how they plan to retool this this roster and and maybe that might include a a new a new coach sir uh, after the season. I mean he's done a terrific job here in my opinion, uh, but maybe they feel like it's time for a change. But um, he's a terrific coach. I've been very I hate to say it, but I, I mean uh, he's a he's a classy individual, Lane Vigneault, of course, and. Uh, I think he's done a whale of a job with this team. I know they're not where they want to be this year, but I, that's not his fault. No, I don't think so either. What do you think about Ryan McDonough? Do you think they'll listen to offers for Ryan? Yeah, I'm just saying I, I think they will. I mean, he seems to have a bit of an injury. He's not going on this little road trip to Minnesota and Winnipeg, which they have coming up. Um you know, it depends. As we were talking last week with Lyle Richardson on Spectres Hockey, they're, they're going to want a piece off somebody's team, off at someone's NHL club now. And what teams are going to want to try to do for the deadline is they want to do a pure ad. So you might have a team out there, uh, let's say like a Tampa Bay, which there were some rumors about uh, looking at Ryan McDonough. Tampa Bay is going to want to add Ryan McDonough without really touching, without touching anyone off their main roster. So I mean, the question is, is there a deal to be had there, be it with draft picks and prospects, that the Rangers would do right before the deadline that comes, comes from those picks and prospects? I mean, uh, they're probably going to want an NHL-ready uh, guy right now. So, uh, or an NHL guy, uh, a young NHLer, back for him in a, in a deal. And so I don't know if anyone's going to be willing to do that right now. So I'm, I'm not sure where the Rangers stand on all that. You know, at the end, like, for instance, let's say Ryan McDonough to the Maple Leafs would be a tremendous, be the kind of player that Toronto has been craving for in that blue line. But, you know, maybe the Rangers would want William Nylander. That, that, that kind of a trade would be more likely in the off season than before the deadline. Uh, you know, are the Leafs willing to do that? You know, that, that kind of trade. Um, so I I don't know I think there's a, I think there's a much higher probability that Zuccarello gets traded gets traded I could see that right. I could see uh, Nash because uh, they do have a lot of 
yeah, Nash is definitely going to go. Uh, Grabner's definitely going to go, and Nick Holden might be able to help somebody out on the third, uh, like a third pairing. Those guys are going to all 100% going to get traded. Uh, I would say Zuccarello. I would put that at 40%. Uh, I would put McDonough. I would put that at like a 10%. I, I really don't think. I don't know if anyone's going to be willing to get give them a piece right now uh, off their team uh, that the Rangers are going to want. I, I think it's going to set up for the Rangers to trade him in the offseason. Uh, I don't know if it's a good – I mean, he's your 28-year-old captain. Is it? Is it really time to go that deep into your rebuild for the Rangers? Well, here's the thing. Ryan McDonough is a free agent uh, at the at the end of next season. Um, he is 20 – I believe he's – I think he's 29 years of age, or he he will be 29 years of 29, age. 29, 29, yes. Yeah. Right. 29. So at the end of next year, he's going to be, when he's a free agent, he's going to be 30. Um, you know, I, I don't know if the Rangers are comfortable with giving him a seven- or eight-year deal. Um, I talked about uh, recently uh, the fact that both Mark Stoll and Dan Girardi, who were terrific players for them, Dan Girardi now obviously in Tampa, uh, you know, the, I don't want to say the wheels came off, but they're si- simply not the same players uh, that they once were. And wear and tear, uh, usage, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of the tread off that tire came off. And I think they're kind of worried about that, although they have to be a bit concerned that, you know, you sign someone like Ryan McDonough that in year three of that eight-year deal, potentially, or seven-year deal, then that happens to them. So, if they feel like, you know what, we're we're really not close to being a true contender, I, I think it's best for us to, sh- to trade him away, get a really strong package for him, and move in that direction instead of giving him a very long-term expensive deal and keeping our fingers crossed. And especially considering the, the best years he has ahead of him over the next, let's say, three years, we're probably not going to be ready to compete for a Stanley Cup during that time. So I think that's, I mean, that's just, the, you know, I think that's how they look at it. I'm not saying they're going to they're gonna trade him for the best deal that they can get kind of mentality if it's, you know, not good enough, but it's the best deal. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I, I, I think there will be plenty of interest from teams, to say the least. I don't know if anyone's going to be able to put something on the table that's going to work for them right, right now, um, given all the givens I said before. So, uh, that's why I would put that at kind of a 10% uh, possibility. But uh, I think that's still, I think that's how they look at things. And, and you know, the Rangers need a lot of work. Um, and Lundqvist is getting getting older, but he's got a no-move clause. Yeah. So uh, I think he's going to be here to stay. And it's very hard trading a goaltender, as you know. So, um, yeah, I, I, but they're going to be a definitely – uh, a player at this at this deadline, uh, just very different what what kind of player. They're usually a player at the deadline acquiring players, but they're going to be a, a player at this deadline selling players. Well, there's going to you, you mentioned in this week's notes that uh, the price tag for these teams at the deadline as of right now is is exorbitant to say the least. Um, do you see that changing? Do you think, I mean, the closer you get to the deadline, is the price going to ratchet up? 
as teams start bidding against each other, or are teams going to be backing out and bring bring the price down? I, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't stand the, and I, I've seen, especially in baseball, this kind of mindset of, you know, well, we're going to ask for this. We're going to start off by asking for the sun and the moon and the stars on, on, on a player that's really not deserving of it and or given his, you know, his ability, given what kind of player he is and his contract situation. It makes no sense to me. I mean, you know, to me, a guy like Rick Nash, you want to take a Rick Nash or a Vander Kane or even Patrick Maroon. Let's just use those three guys. Uh, as an example, who are okay. who are going to be moved? To me, a fair deal, a fair market value deal, considering they're all going to be unrestricted free agents. They're all very good players. They're not great players. They're all very good players, but they could really help someone uh, make the playoffs and have a playoff run. Would be a second round pick and a really good prospect, not a blue blue chipper, but not a not a not a mediocre guy either. You know, a B prospect as as you will. Now, so if I'm the GM for one of those teams and I'm reaching out, now if if I can get a trade done now and I can extract a, an extra pick or an extra prospect from someone uh, based on that market deal and to see if someone will move now, uh, such as, like I would say, a third-round pick, it may not even have to be a third-round pick from this coming draft. It would be the following draft. I, I, you know, I get it. I get trying to get the best deal that you can. But as we, when we had Lyle Richardson on last week, and he said his information was the Sabres have told everyone at this point in time to get a Vander Kane, it's going to cost four assets. I mean, that's just – unless, you know, two of those assets are six or seven round picks. I mean, that's just like – that's just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs there, you know? I mean, it just doesn't <laughs> – no one's going to – you know, why are you going to set, you know, say this is the price when you know that no one in their right minds – do that. I, I just don't understand, and especially from these teams that are selling. You know, what if tonight uh, Evander, Evander Kane or or Rick Nash or whoever you want to choose, you know, bangs their knee and gets injured and is out for the next three months? Well, you just miss the golden opportunity to move these guys and get a couple of future valuable assets. So uh, it's a bit perplexing to me. But uh, I think everyone will talk Turkey, uh, I think, once we get within seven days of the trading deadline. Yeah, and the the Evander Kane thing is kind of funny because everybody knows that Buffalo wants to get rid of him. Um, And, you know, everybody knows that that Nash is on the block, uh, to use your other example there. But but it's different than being on the block than being – someone that your team wants to get rid of if you catch what I'm saying um, and, and to put that high of, you know my feelings on Evander Kane I've come around a little bit but I yeah like like you said you want four assets you get a, a second a B grade prospect and two seven round picks in 2021 if you want to round out the four but yeah. um, I, I does the I don't see. I mean, what are they thinking? A first, a uh, a Cody Glass, uh, James Neal, and right. not Colin Miller. To, 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 that's that's not going to happen. Are, are we doing the, uh, yeah. the art of a deal here, where you just start start off way high and and because you, the thing with Kane and and I mean, you could go on the downsides with Nash with his age and his speed and and 
I think I think I saw somewhere this week where where he has some somewhere around 60 playoff games and only 18 goals. So if you're trying to acquire someone at the deadline who's going to give you a push in the playoffs, um, an argument can be made against Rick Nash just for that reason. Um, he has tended to disappear in the bigger games, especially you know with his playoff career with the Rangers. Um, there's there's let's just say. There's arguments to be made against the the players that are that are supposedly leading the pack and on the rumor mill right now. Um, should I easily be able to talk, talk them down. Is is it, when you hear like because you know it's what we focus on at the draft is the first round pick. Uh, everyone knows who the first round picks are, the sexy picks and all that jazz. But not all first round picks in terms of. Uh, being from teams that are looking to acquire someone or, or equal. If you're the Nashville Predators, for instance, and they're going to probably, or the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, the way the NHL does uh, does the the draft order is the, the, the first, right. they combine the fir- they combine the first two rounds in terms of who lost. So in in essence, that's pick number 16, I believe it's, uh, 16 through 27. So, for instance, Tampa Bay right now, I believe, has the most points. So, if they were to lose in the first two rounds, they know that they're going to pick 27th overall. Okay. Now, let's take someone like, um, well, Calgary does not have a first-round pick. Let's take like, someone like the Islanders, and someone says, oh, we want one of those first-round picks you have, either yourself or Calgary. Now, in both of those situations, those those two teams could make the playoffs or they could just, they could miss the playoffs. So now you're talking about a pick that could be somewhere between, let's say 12 and 15 and also have a chance at getting one of those special top three picks in the lottery, which happened to the Flyers last year. Sure. So that's a whole. We saw, yeah, we saw that all, th- all three of those, all three of those picks right. in the top three last year came out of the top six picks. Right, so that's a whole different so set of things. It's a way more valuable right pick. there. Right, so yeah, um, you know, like, like I said, can I see a Nash? If a push came to shove, and and someone like Nashville or Tampa um, really, really wanted someone desperately, and especially those two teams that we've talked about, uh, you know, their their focus is on purely winning the cup. If they got either team got to the cup finals and lost in a tough, long series and played well. It would be a bitter disappointment from that. I could see one of those teams trading a first-round pick because, again, they're not to poo-poo it. It's still a really good pick to pick, you know, their first-round pick. But it's not picking eighth in the draft. It's picking 25th, 26th, 27th. And that's if they lose in the first two Big rounds. Obviously, if, if they get past sure. that, then they're picking either 28 to 31. So uh, outside of a team like that, I don't see anyone trading uh, their first-round pick unless someone becomes available uh, that no one saw coming uh, between now and the trade deadline of February 26th. Yeah, no, no question about it. It's going to be interesting the closer we get to it, too. We still have a couple weeks away till till it's the national holiday of the, the trade deadline. So um, still plenty, yeah, plenty no, to do. Oh. Um, Let's um, let's look. We're waiting for Rob Sawyer to join us here on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. So let's take a look 
at the Pacific Division because that's outside of the leaders in the division. That's one of the tighter divisions where any of the next four four teams within a point of each other um, have a chance to jump into that automatic playoff spot. Yeah, your Kings uh, over the last couple of days have gone from, um, what is it? They've gone from fifth in the division to second. They're they're at second place right now at 65 points. And then you have a three-way tie uh, between Calgary and San Jose and Anaheim at 64 points. So it is just really crazy. Uh, you know, really is going to come down to, uh, you know, one win between now and the regular season or maybe even one point in overtime on who makes the playoffs, who doesn't make the playoffs in both conferences. And, you know, there's a lot at stake for those teams. Um, and all four of those teams could be a heck of a I can easily see going on a playoff run if they get in, but again, it's a very different sure. situation uh, for all four teams. Um, um, Calgary's out here out east right now. I uh, lost the Rangers last night. They play the Islanders tomorrow night. It'll be a homecoming for Travis Hamannick. Um, you know, the, the Sharks had a tough loss to Vegas the other night. So uh, the Anaheim had a big win last night. I mean, they're all very solid teams. And have a lot to offer, but I mean, uh, again, it's just it's just ridiculous of where they're at. And and they're also, you know, if they don't get that third slot in the Pacific, they're also barking up Minnesota's tree uh, for the wild card spot as well. Minnesota sitting at sixty four, but they have a game in hand too against the Ducks. So um, it's going to come into play with what happens in the Central Division. As well, sir. It's, yep. The West is and, the West is tight. The West is the, the East is too, though. Yeah, the Dallas yeah, yeah. is making Dallas a big push a to get in the top three, to get into the top three to put St. Louis in the wild card spot. So, but St. Louis is got, yeah, it's gonna be you're gonna it's gonna be very, very, very tight. I mean, a team like uh, forget about Edmonton, who we're gonna only talk, talk about in a second. A team like Chicago, with all the teams they have to, not just the points that they're behind, but it's all the teams they have to pass. I mean, it's, it's going to be impossible. Yeah, it's impossible for Edmonton, for sure. Let's get into the Oilers talk. We're still waiting on Rob to join us here, but um, are they? is there anything left as far as playoff hopes for the preseason darlings? of the Pacific division and the Western conference, Edmonton Oilers. Is there anything left for the, for the playoff hopes or are we kissing that goodbye? Yeah, I, I, I can't see it. I mean, I mentioned before as bad, I think there was there, are they 14 points out of a playoff spot? But again, it's the number of teams yep. they have to leapfrog over. So that's yeah, they're 26 the overall. Yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see how it's possible. Um, I, the 14 points is a huge number to begin with, and then, and then the amount of teams they have to they have to surpass. So uh, I think uh, I would put the chance. I mean, they would have to go on just a ridiculous run uh, between now and the regular season, and I, I don't see how that's possible. No. So what do you think? Um... Are they sellers then coming up to the trade deadline here? 
I think they should be. I mean, I they think gotta, they should. They got to be right. Room. They got to make. Yeah. They got to make some salary cap room too. Yeah, uh, I don't know who else they have really to sell besides Patrick Maroon, though. I mean, um, if you look at their roster, they've re-signed a number of guys like uh, like Chris Russell recently this past summer. Um, you know, Richard Hopkins might have been a guy they'd listen to if someone stepped up with a real good package, but he's hurt, so you could throw that one. You know, that's 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 uh, trade talk for the off season. Um, I don't really know who on that team, uh, other than Patrick Maroon, that uh, people are going to be really interested in. Or yeah, really you're not... that are going to be sold, uh, sold off at this point in time. But you're right. I mean, Conor McVay's be... contract number kicks in, kicks in next season. So he's going to go from 800 yeah. and whatever to 60000 to $12.5 million, And that's going to make things very difficult for them to do and and in terms of the cap they're going to be in a total cap crunch which they've tried to been preparing for i mean that's that's the that's 90 percent of the reason why they traded jordan Eberle to the islanders for ryan strom who's who's been a massive disappointment out there and um yeah they got they got a lot of work to do and obviously the pacific division is 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 really good and and the Knights, they thought was going to be a team they have to worry about down the line. They have to worry about now, and you know, and Vancouver's coming. Yeah, Vancouver's got. They they might have turned the page. I mean, they're not having obviously the results this year, but with with Besser and some of the other kids, Vancouver, they, they give them a couple of years. They'll be back. They'll be back in the Pacific for sure. But you also have guys. They overspent for in free agency when you talk about a Milan Lucic six years six million dollars and a Sakara for six years six million dollars, um, o- overspent and overterm on on those players in my opinion, that's going to hamper them in whatever they decide they. I think obviously they need to do something defensively. Um, Talbot's a half a goal and and twenty percentage points below his career averages and goals against and save percentage, and he didn't. He didn't just forget how to play goalie. Um, he's not getting any help in front of him. So, I mean, you can't really go to the free agent market when uh, 30-something million dollars is tied up in those three players uh, to, to get a blue-chip defenseman. So I'm worried that we're going to see – I mean, it's strange to say, was last year a peak? For the Oilers, or is this going to be an aberration, and and somehow they're going to have to rebuild and put pieces around McDavid, Puliyarvi, and Nugent Hopkins um, that gets them back in the playoffs? Well, I'll give you one more thing to throw into the pot. Um, we mentioned before about Craig Button Bliss. The Oilers don't have a guy on his top fifty list. Now they will <laughs> have a really good pick in this upcoming draft. We'll have to see where they wind up. It, it, it looks like they're going to have a good chance to have a top 10 pick and maybe the ping pong ball right, but well to them. Um, but as, yeah, you say, the though, built, as you say, it, they haven't done anything with those picks. And, and remember, um, they picked first overall or top three for years and years and years. And that doesn't right. mean you're just picking first overall. That means you're getting the first pick in every round thereafter. 
and to not have built the depth of a talent pool that you would hope would come from, you know, the 31st pick, uh, yeah, you had five or six of those at the same time. Um, and then not to, not to put anybody in a top 50 prospect list. Um, I, you can't bank on, on having that good pick next season and, and what that staff is going to do. Oh, for sure. You should not never have Obviously to rely they on pick McDavid. Okay. Yeah, you're never going to have to. And, and shame on I mean, I, I could have made that pick. You're right. If they're <laughs> going to rely any organization is going to rely on, you know, a future 18-year-old draft pick in June to be a huge reason why they, they get their team turned around. I mean, come on. That's just not gonna, that's just silly silliness if someone's uh, doing that. But, uh, you know, the thing is, though, I mean, if you look at the numbers and the play, not that they're having bad seasons, but the way they're constructed, uh, I would argue that uh, for them to have a, a big season, they need huge years out of Drysidle and, and McDavid. And I, I don't know if that's uh, – uh, I don't know if that's if that's really happening. So – uh, I mean, I, it's it's not happening this year. So that's um, yeah. They they they, they and, and you mentioned before about Lucic and Sakara. I mean, quite honestly, with the years they have left, I think this is year two for Lucic. So he's got five more years right. to go at six million per. I mean, and Sakara, I don't know. I think he might have four years left at six and a half. Those guys are unmovable with those with those uh, length of term and and cap hit. So. Uh, you know, Adam Larson's been okay. He hasn't right. been great. He hasn't been, you know, but, I mean, he has a $4 million cap hit, but, and he signed for a few more years, but, you know, to get, I mean, that's all they got to kill a hole. So, I mean, they have a lot of okay guys on defense, you know, in my opinion. They don't really have anyone outstanding. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know, to me that the one guy, uh, actually one of the pleasant surprises, on the team this year uh, was Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, in a season where a lot's gone wrong. He had gone right. And then of course he got hurt. And, you know, that might be a piece where they look to trade to get some more depth to this team and, and maybe clear a little cap space. Cause he has a pretty good cap number at 6 million per season. But now the other question is uh, when the season ends is, is the coach and the GM going to be uh, the two two people still in charge? Yeah, well, that's uh, – I don't think so. I think Shirelli might be safe. Um, with, with the expectations this team had going in and, and inflated as they may have been based on where that team finished last year and, and the strong run they did make in the playoffs. Um I don't think coach is back. I think you have to, and I hate to say it because um, obviously he's a good coach, but if you're the GM and the owner's breathing down your neck, you, and I hate to use the term fall guy, but um, you're going to hear words like uh, time for a change. It wasn't working in the rim. Uh, we need fresh air. You know what I mean? Those, those kind of terms are going to get thrown about, but I mean, let's face it, if you go through the, the rest of the season and, and you're muddling along at 500 the rest of the way and you finish with 65 points, that's a far cry from the Western Conference Finals or even the Stanley Cup Finals or the expectations this team had. Um, I don't I don't think Coach Shirelli probably gets a chance. 
Go ahead. I got one for you. At the end of this regular season, the Rangers and Elaine Vigneault part ways. What do you think about Elaine Vigneault becoming the next Oilers coach? Do you I like think that it might be a great fit. I, 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 do, yeah. I do like that because when he went, when we remember back in Vancouver, when he had that kind of, of offensive skill, you know, they were one home game away from winning the Stanley Cup. Um, and then when he went to New York, he's very versatile as a coach, and he was able to adjust his style to the personnel that he had and put that team in the Stanley Cup. Um, no, I like that fit. I think he could get back to his offensive. I, I think he's more of an offensive skill coach. I think that's the way the league is going, and I think AV would would um, would fit in nicely there. Van, that Vancouver squad he coached, um, the core guys uh, sitting aside, that, that team was basically responsible defensively as well, um, but definitely played into the offensive skill set that they had. I, I, I like that, Chris. That's a good pull. I think AV to the Oilers would be a, a real good fit on both sides. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens if they make any changes. Because uh, um, it has, you know, it, it's funny. I, I mentioned on when we did the preview shows, that the two teams I'm kind of worried about was the expectations were so high for both of them. And they had a lot of things going for them with their young talent and ability. And that was Toronto and Edmonton. And I was more worried about Toronto because I felt like in the Pacific that there weren't going to be enough teams to challenge Edmonton, that they'd really have to fall off the table, that I didn't think there'd be enough competition. And, and <laughs> boy, was I wrong about that. It was the, it was the other way around. I mean, and Toronto's had a sure. solid season. Um, to say the least. So, uh, although if they lose in the uh, if they lose in the first round of the playoffs again, uh, it'll be it would be a problem. So, uh, um, but uh, uh, to say the least. But uh, yeah, it, it, the expectations definitely have really hurt them. To say, uh, well, not hurt them, but I mean, I, I thought people were getting way ahead of themselves, and that was led by the hockey news to start with. Yeah, hold on. Something just hiccuped on me. Okay, well, that being said, you said uh, you said you think maroon is a piece that that might be on the on the block for these guys. Um, that will free up some cap space. Um, obviously, they they'd like to move him for a defenseman. What's the price if if you're a Australian and a GM? calling about maroon what do you what do you what do you think um who with anaheim wasn't you know more of a third line guy grinder but with a little bit of offensive upside playing with mcdavid obviously yeah. as it came to playing with uh crosby and and maybe the offensive numbers get a little inflated with those guys so what's uh you're calling edmonton for maroon what are you willing to give and then if you're Torelli, what are you willing to take i mean i like you said i think he falls into that category of a second round pick and and a good prospect if if edmonton get more than that that's that's a great deal for them but i kind of feel like he's like some of like a lot of those good forwards um that should be around the market rate 
uh, for him. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe they wind up trying to take two, try to get two good prospects because, you know, let's face it, a draft pick, as great as they are, most likely you're looking at a situation where the, that, that, that player is a couple of years away. So maybe you go for two prospects who could help your team uh, starting next fall. So uh, maybe they go about it that way. But uh, uh, that's how I would look at con- the kind of return Edmonton could expect from Maroon. Well, we're going to be running out of time here in just a little bit. Let's get back to uh, that their position in the Pacific. We've already pretty much decided that that's not going to, it's not going to be there for them this year. Um, how, how do you see the rest of up? I think Rob might just popped in on us. Hold on just a second, and we'll see if we can bring him in here. Hey, Rob, is that you, buddy? Uh, yep. Hey, good to talk to you, sir. We finally got Rob in here. We had a little technical difficulty on our side. So thank you, sir, for coming in. We were just talking at length about the Oilers and and where they are and and what they might be doing at the deadline. Um, Let's start start back at the beginning since you covered the Oilers for the hockey writers and have actually written a book, Connor McDavid and Hockey's Next Great One. You're, You're much closer to the team than either Chris or myself. So, um, we're talking about the preseason expectations for this team and where they are now. Um, kind of give us a summary of, of, of the season and, and what, in your opinion, um, had not fall short of the expectations that we all had for them. Um, yeah, it's it's been an interesting season. I, I think um, no one obviously expected them to to have the season that they have had. Um, that said, if you, I remember coming on with you guys before the season started, and I clearly said to you guys that many people were talking about them as a Stanley Cup contender and such, and I was bullish with my um, my feelings that if they ended up anywhere in the top three in the Pacific, that should have been good enough for people because I I foresee I foresaw I meant some issues with the roster. So um, the Absolutely. fact that they've struggled. Yeah, the fact they've struggled hasn't hasn't surprised me, but the fact that they've struggled to the degree they have obviously has. But again, it's it's a combination of the two, right? You look at last year, pretty much everything went right for them. This year, right. um, pretty much everything has gone wrong for them. You know, like their their penalty kill is obviously the one thing that that is comical, right? Like. Uh, they they have like one of the best, if not the best, still penalty kill in the league on the road. And then at at home, it's like fifty percent, which is you know fifty percent is just insane. <laughs> you know, yeah. so Com- it's just stuff like that. That's, that's a great adjective, sir. <laughs> yeah, um, one you thing, know, one so. thing I would say, you have you, you have two wins against the Vegas Golden Knights to hang your hat on, so that's a plus for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and and that's the other thing, right? The Vegas, like, you know, coming coming into the year, I, I was looking at it as Edmonton, Calgary, Anaheim. I thought L.A. would be good, and San Jose was a team I wasn't sure about. Um, and then Vegas is what Vegas is, right? That that whole that whole angle has changed everything. Yeah, and for them to be what they are. And, and it's funny because I, I get into things with people here and there on Twitter. They always bring up uh, Vegas from uh, – an effort standpoint compared to the Oilers. And I'm like, well, 
because they're like, oh, look at Vegas. They they don't have any good players. And I'm like, actually, Vegas arguably has as actually deep they a team do as anyone in the league. You know, they just don't have the no, high right end. You know, like they're a good team, and again, they're confident, and that's the complete opposite of the Oilers. Uh, once the Oilers started losing, the confidence bit went into the the toilet, shall we say? And now they realize, hey, we're not as good as we were, and uh, or thought we were. And, uh, yeah, you, you have what you have. Like, last couple of nights are perfect examples. They played okay, but it's okay just isn't good enough. Yeah, and then on the opposite side of that, I see the, I see the, the opposite argument a lot on Twitter as well, is that um, the same people at the start of the season saying Vegas was going to be the worst team in the league now says that the league spoon-fed them a, a team full of all-stars, and it was a total set Um I, there's a lot of players that, that McPhee passed on to put this roster together. But if you look at their top six, they don't have the Connor McDavid's or the, or the Patrick Kane's or the Sidney Crosby's. But just, just, and, and sure, uh, uh, Carlson's outperforming what, whatever he has done in, in the past. Uh, but Marshall's doing pretty much what he, he did. Riley Smith yep. is moving up to the contract that Florida gave gave him, he's not making four and a half million dollars because he's a scrub. Perron, and, and we talked a little about Perron, um, Perron's a fantastic possession forward. The more I see of Perron um, and his ability to hang on to the puck and extend offensive zone time when he's on the ice with Neil and Halla is creating chances for those guys that may, you know, well, there's a lot of forwards in the league that would, don't have that skill set. And they're willing to go in into that dirty zone down the corners in front of the net, screenshots, and create the opportunity. So if you, if you have Neil, Marshall, Smith, Long, Carlson, um, Hall is another guy who's, who's playing above his head, maybe, or maybe it's just the opportunity to play with those two wingers. Um, that's not that's that's a top six in, in just about any team in the league. Um, so they do have high quality skill and high quality speed. And we were, we, you know, it's funny. We were talking just a minute before you joined us about whether uh, the coach in Edmonton was going to be safe at the end of the year. And we were speculating earlier, uh, coach Vigneault might be um, on the way out after this fire sale. The Rangers are pretty much announced that they're about to go through. Um, if coach in Edmonton is on the way out after this season and, and he may be in that group of coaches. Um, what would you think about coach Vigneault as, as coming in and maybe bringing that style he had with Vancouver to the Oilers, not so much the style he coached in New York? Um, yeah, I'd, I don't know if they'd go that route or not. I really don't. Uh, I, honestly, guys, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what happens in Chicago. Um, if Quenville, if Quenville stays or not, because we know they've had issues Ooh. before from him, him butting heads. Um, and if something like that were to occur where those two just kind of like, you know, because it's clear Chicago's probably going to kind of be headed, not in the opposite direction, but they're, I think they're going to become a middle inside now for a little bit, they're, you know, they're yeah. starting to get old. Uh, and I could see something like that. Um, the thing is though, I honestly don't think McClellan, That's interesting. I really don't. I, I don't. Um, he's the one. It's weird, like, as I've made it well known for quite some time that for me, um, you know, most of this, again, the the players have a part in this. 
the coaching staff has a part in this, but for me, the guy who put this team together is the guy who should be have his feet held to the fire in Chiarelli. So everyone was loved them last year, or, and now you're starting to kind of see, um, you know, like to <laughs> to put it into perspective, this is this is a team that traded Taylor Hall for um, Adam Larson, and now you got people in this marketplace saying they need to trade. Oscar Kleffbaum, who's had an awful season, but it's just a season um, for a forward. And I'm just kind of like, like, are you like a winger? Like, come on, like you've downgraded from four, <laughs> you trade the elite forward for a good defenseman and Larson's a good defenseman. And now you're going to trade Clefbaum for a forward. That's not going to be as good as Hall. Like, come on, you know, it's, it's stuff and like then that. Next season and you'll be saying they'll need to trade for a next season. They'll have to trade for a defenseman again. Well, and that's just it, right? Like, I get it. They're in a tough spot. There's nothing. The two biggest mistakes, obviously, they made for me was the Hall trade and uh, bringing in Lucic. Just the swap just doesn't, it hasn't worked. And then, obviously, the, you know, the Barzell angle, <laughs> which oh, will never go away. Chris is uh, real honestly, happy I don't, about that. Chris, Chris. Oh, I'm sure he is. The yeah. Angle. <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to. Well, but I, I honestly yeah, let me think bring in, he's... Let... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to bring in yeah, Chris just... and let him, let him uh, yeah. get into that with you. But go ahead and finish your thoughts. Yeah, I was just going to say the whole Barzell thing. Um, I honestly don't think, and that's how it's been said in this marketplace by a lot of the guys that are around the team, I don't think the Oilers are going to draft him. Like, even if they did keep that pick, I think they were going to go Eric Sack. You know, and it's not just on the Oilers. Like, yeah, they traded that pick that ended up becoming Barzell, but like Boston had what three in a row, and they didn't pick yep. Barzell. Like a lot of a lot of teams are looking pretty foolish right now. Yeah, and it, and the one thing I guess good about the Barzell situation for Edmonton is it gets you off that you traded heavily for Ryan Strom, who's really struggled again this year. It's a good yep. kid, but um, uh, you know, Rob. I look at this from both the short term, meaning the trade deadline for the Edmonton, and and then how to move forward in, in in the off season. So it would seem to make sense that Patrick Maroon will be moved for the best package they can get, either i.e. picks and prospects. Is there anyone else they can move to free up some camp space and get some future assets? And like, and then the second part of that question is, how do they move forward? Because we were talking about before you joined us that. You know, McDavid, next year he's going to go from making having zero cap hit uh, to a $12.5 million cap hit. And so how how are they going to get better? And uh, it doesn't seem like they, their prospect pipeline, not saying it's bad, but it doesn't seem like there's any answers knocking on the door there. So how are they going to put these pieces together and the moves they need to make and with, with with the cap being what it is, and what do you so I guess what, I, what I'm asking is what what are the options both in the off season and what are the ops and what are you expecting them to do for the February 26th trade deadline? Well, as far as the deadline goes, um, there have been rumblings around town that uh, you know they're looking at signing Maroon, which I have no problem with Patrick Maroon. He hasn't had as good a year, especially from a goal scoring standpoint. He's actually on pace for almost identical season points wise, but he has to score on this team. Like secondary assist isn't what he's there for. Um, 
But I, man, if this team keeps him and Lucic long term from a team standpoint as two of your top three left wingers, they're insane. So I, I think he goes. I hope it's for a pick. There are a lot of people hinting uh, Jim Matheson being one that they might look at a, you know, a, they're not going to get an A level or even a B level prospect from any team. It might be a C level, but for me. Why would you even go there? You're better off. I'm pretty sure someone will cough up a second rounder for Maroon at some point. He makes no money. Um, he's proven time and time again he can play with good players. Um, if they can get a second rounder out of him, then it's you know it's perfect because then they have the option. They can use that second round to help bring in another good play, young player. Like you said, they don't have a lot of them, or at least not ready. Uh, bump, bubbling on under the surface to to make a push in in the NHL, um, or we all know that second rounder is going to have more value as a trade chip um, than than some prospect that you may have liked that you didn't draft or you know that that has no value. So to me, getting the pick makes the most sense. Um, I think they'll move Latestu uh, again. I think a, a team will will take him a, a good team using Latestu as a you know, a bottom six forward, um, someone will do it. Because I think if the Oilers take half of Latestu's money, he doesn't have a, a whole hell of a lot on the cap. And Maroon only makes two mil, and the Oilers only pay one and a half because Anaheim still pays uh, half a million. Um, other than that, as far as the deadline goes, it, it's tough, right? Like, they're talking about they have for months now that they might move Shlepashev, and I don't know, like, that kid, he's a he's kind of an enigma in these parts. Uh I think a lot of us look at him as there's more there potentially, but he, you know, he, he goes missing and is invisible at times. And then at other times he doesn't get, he doesn't get the opportunity that you look at a guy like Drake Kajula, who's been awful this year. Um, yet he's continually spoon fed minutes. Um, not necessarily with high end guys. Like, yeah, he's played with McDavid and such before, but he's in the lineup. Whereas with uh, Shlepashev, he's, he's not playing. Right. So those would be the main guys. Um, but after that, you know, they could move anybody like, uh, Matt Benning's been awful this year. Um, again, people are hinting that him may be moving, which I don't know if I would do that. Uh, but again, if the deal's right, um, I, I, if it makes sense, they can move anybody. There's really just one guy who can't be moved. And like you said, well, McDavid is going to go from making, well, he doesn't make nothing. He makes about 4 million because of the bonuses he'll hit because of everything. Right. But still 4 million to to 12 and a half you're right it's a massive jump right so i i look at the oilers now and i think we all knew this was going to happen regardless of what was going to happen with dry all those people who say he was overpaid and uh, i still think with dry he's overpaid because of the the extra years they got at the end yeah they could have signed him for six years on a shorter deal but yeah eight and a half yeah it's a little much but it, again as they say it is what it is so you add those two guys in and now they become chicago or pittsburgh so they're going to have to go into the free agent market from here on out and they got to go find value contracts, especially wingers. Well, that's going to be, that's going to, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt, sorry to interrupt, but that's going to be pretty hard for them to do given uh-huh. the cap crunch that they're in, right? With Lucic and Sakara and, uh, you know, I, 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 I thought maybe, I, I don't know what their trade options are, after Nugent Hopkins, uh, I mean, he was having, he was probably one of the few real bright spots this year before he got hurt. Uh, yep. I mean, no one's going to take Lucic off their hands. No one's going to take Sekiro off their hands. Not that they're bad players, but simply because of the, the amount of term left on their deals and their cap hits. 
and their ages as well. So uh, I'm just wondering, like, I, I don't see – it's hard for me to see a lot of paths for, for Edmonton to move forward in, and I don't know yeah. how aggressive they can be in in free agency uh, w- w- with the way their cap is, is structured moving forward. It would be the value guys, right? Like, you know, we'll think back to the last few years. Arizona does it every year, right? They always get – they'll get a good player on a one-year deal making nothing. And I think if the Oilers um, were to improve – let's well, put it this way. If the Oilers were having a similar season compared to last season this year, I think you got a better chance then of getting those veteran guys too that might still be able to impact – um, but are near maybe the downside of their career and looking to win a cup, um, then, yeah, you want to come to Edmonton to play with the McDavid and such. And and the one thing with Maroon, like, yeah, the, everyone knows, uh, you always see the things with him and his, his kid in St. Louis and such, and I know that's always been an area where he might go. Um, Maroon's made it quite clear he'd like to stay here, and I think no one really expected that. Uh, the issue is going to become money, obviously. Um but I think what the guys that come into this setting are like, yeah, this, this has the potential, uh, but you're right now because what, and the bi- the biggest part in all of this uh, where Trelli screwed up is he's at the point now, like you said, there, how you go on to fix the roster because all his tradable chips he's traded, you know, outside of, like you said, unless you're going to move a Nugent Hopkins or a dry sidle, which is fine but then you're creating more holes because he moved Hall for a real – yeah, go ahead. Can't trade Dreisaitl. No, well, hey, man, there's a lot of people in this area that would trade him because they're all over the the money oh. thing, right? And it's it's silly, but but that's my point, right? Those are the only two tradable pieces that will get you something. Um, I, I can't see them moving the first rounder, but you never know. Uh, the deal will have to make a lot of sense because they have no kids in the farm, really, especially forwards, other than Yamamoto. And even Yamamoto. There's a possibility Yamamoto could be moved um, in the right deal. You don't want to. The young kid, quick, high offensive skill. He's been really good since uh, the World Juniors, ripping it up in uh, Spokane. But th- he's he's literally handcuffed himself in the or- organization because he took pennies on the dollar for Hall, and he literally gave away Eberle. Like, I get everyone's like, yeah, Eberle didn't have any value at the time. Well, of course, but I always bring it back to the the Colorado deal. As bad as we all think Joe Sackick was as a GM, give him credit. He waited and waited yeah. and waited and made a good deal for his club. That it, While they didn't get maybe that, that high-end player back, he got enough potential return that he can do stuff with that return to help improve the roster. And the Oilers aren't in that situation. They're they're hooped. Yeah, now they need a, a winger who can score. Like their wingers are are god awful. Like it goes, you know. Everyone's like, oh, why is Drysaitel on the wing? Well, he's on the wing because their wingers are terrible. You know. And then the two in uh, the New York area are ripping up the league. So it's frustrating for for a guy like me because you could see it coming. Um, but um, a lot of Oilers fans they kind of grew tired of the Hall and Everly thing. And I think it's because of all the, the losing, right? And you pin it on those guys when in reality, if you actually took a step back and looked at it properly, you can't blame those guys for those teams being awful. Were they perfect? No. Did they make mistakes? Sure. But, you know, they gave away they those were young. things, and that's what a bad GM does. Yeah. Well, here you you, you alluded to it a little bit, and, and Craig Button's top 15 prospect list kind of, 
um, shed a little more light on it. We were talking on there in the show about that. And one thing that's overlooked, and we, we all know that, that the Oilers have, have very high draft picks in the last, you know, 10 to 12 years. And, and the players that they brought in, uh, many of them are gone. But, w- but what's overlooked in that and what's alarming to me for the franchise and, and going forward and trying to put pieces around, around the court, um, there's not one Edmonton player in that top 50. And when you're picking first, second, third, fifth overall, as often as they did, you're also picking 31st, 32nd, 35th overall. You know, you have the high picks throughout the draft where you build that franchise um, and, and, and the depth of the franchise just doesn't seem to be there um, uh, other than Yamamoto. Um, it looks like he's going to be a good player. But is that that's alarming to me. And, and I asked this to Chris earlier, and I'm going to ask you too. Was last season perhaps as far as Edmonton is going to go for the next, let's say, three to five years while they try and rebuild that prospect base? As alarming as that is to say with McDavid coming into what, you know, he's still 10 years from being in his prime, but do you want to lose that portion of his career competitively with trying to rebuild a prospect base? And and going in the free agent market for the veteran one year contracts, like you said, to me when you said that that rang that rang alarm bells to me is is a way forward for this team to get to where we all expected them to be competitive at least in the West and, and especially in the Pacific. Um, that that scares me. Yeah, no, it's they're not in a good spot, right? That's and that's the problem. And like you said, the anchors they have. Um, such as the Lucic deal, um, the Sekera deal. I think Sekera is still a good player. It's just, you know, struggling this year. And I knew he would because coming back from the injury he did. And you got guys like Chris Russell, you know, making four and four. It's a lot of money for a third pairing defenseman, right? So they're hoop. Yeah, you got sure. guys and now, and you look you look at it this year, they got the likes of Darnell Nurse is coming up now. They're going to have to pay Nurse. And credit Nurse has been probably the – him and Nugent Hopkins were the two biggest bright spots this season after McDavid, obviously. Nurse is having a real good year. He took a massive step forward. So that's a benefit, but you're right, because the prospect pool is what it is. They're kind of hooped. Um, Tyler Benson, I thought, was a good pick. It's risky because he always gets hurt. He's a good player, and he could come, but he's still at least a couple of years away minimum. The other names in the farm that you'll hear um, is um, – Caleb Jones and uh, Ethan Bear, and both are good defensemen. I just don't see any either of them being anything more at absolute most uh, a number four defenseman in the NHL, and that's all they have. So yeah, they're they're kind of it is alarming, but it's been going on for quite some time how how little the Oilers do do with their second, third, and even fourth round picks. Yes, some of them they were traded, but most of them were just wasted away. So that's why I, I find it difficult to see the Oilers trading their first rounder and such this year, unless they get a, you know, a great player because they, they're going to have to retool it to a degree, but they have to stay competitive. They can't, you know, with McDavid, um, they'll have an opportunity. If they fix up some holes in the roster, they'll have an opportunity to be a really good team. Well, not really good, but they will be a competitive team in the West. And then if he goes, if he gets hot again, people forget too. He's a kid. Like, you know, sure. like he's getting, right. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> he can't it even drink funny. yet. Couple of, 
<laughs> yeah, like I, it was about a month, I think a month, month and a half ago, and I was talking to a couple of guys from the States via Twitter, and I was like, yeah, McDavid's going to win the scoring race and get 100 points, and they're like, you're on crack. And I'm like, okay. And now you see where he is. He's on the edge of the scoring race, and he will probably get close to 100 points. Like, he's that good. Um, and I think he's been – the stretch earlier in the year where he was sick for about a week and a half, uh, I think really affected him for a good month. Like, the, the kid lost close to 15 pounds, and he's not a huge dude at this stage of his career anyway. So you saw his – right production slip a little so uh, the thing with him he's so good that he'll give them the opportunity to be competitive game in game out now the the question becomes can they surround him with enough um via small trades which are things Chiarelli's excelled at and not making bad trades with high-end pieces and seeing if he can bring in something via free agency you know, it, it's tough. It's it's a hit and miss, right? Like this year, the Jokinen experiment didn't work. But you know what? I had no problem with that signing. You, you took a you took a shot at it. It didn't work. It's a million dollars. You move on. Uh, but what they have to stay away from is, like you were saying, Maroon. Maroon is probably going to get three to four million in the open market. You can't sign guys like that. They already have Cassie, and he hasn't been very good this year. But he's making just over two and a half. Like that adds up when you got those two guys at the top making 21 million between them. Yeah. Well, we're not painting a, a very rosy future for this franchise here. I was hoping, I was hoping we would find uh, the, the bright spot in the room here, but um, it, it's, it's going to be tough going, going forward. Yeah. And, and you well, know they what? Could, they I, could I think... win. They could win the lottery again and, uh, and pick oh, the, uh, the young defensive. <laughs> They most certainly yeah, could. There you go. Well, before we let you go, I wanted to get your take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the on the rest of the Pacific Division, um, right now the Kings have gone from out of the playoffs to second in, in the division, but you you only leapfrog three teams that are one point behind them with Anaheim, Calgary, and San Jose. Uh, San Jose with the game in hand, holding down the third spot right now. Um, uh, we're going to assume Arizona, Vancouver, and Edmonton are out. So. How do you how do you see the the rest of the Pacific Division winding out, and who's the real players in the postseason out of the Pacific? Um, it's you would think Anaheim would make the push just because they're finally healthier. Um, the fact they got Gibson back is uh, is a big help. Um, you, I, I would think they make the push and probably end up second. Um, them or LA, it, it's real. LA's uh, tumble later, well, a couple months back, kind of was surprising a little bit, but you know, maybe not because, like you said, everyone's kind of j- bundled up together, and I think that's what we should have expected. Yes, there's the the Phoenix, or sorry, the Vegas thing, which is kind of you know the outlier in this whole situation, but the rest of them are all pretty close, and I think that should have been expected. What we should have been looking at in that range. Um, Calgary's starting to slide a little bit. Uh, Smith isn't playing as well, which is a big reason why they were playing as well as they were from a, or at least getting points from a standing standpoint. Um, so his play has slipped of late. Um, so Calgary's a weird one. And Calgary's, again, their special teams, very much like the Oilers, have been costing them lately. Um, if Calgary gets hot, they could sneak in. But if it were me, I'd say Vegas, Anaheim, 
yeah, and LA. I think those three. San Jose is right there too. San Jose is a weird team, um, especially with Thornton out. Um, they're, they're just weird. Right. Like one night they look really good. The next night they look awful. Um, but I think they'll stay right in that middling area. Right. And they'll be in the conversation all year long. It's funny though, because up until these last few games, everyone in this market, while most people realize the Oilers were out of it, a lot of them are like, Oh, they, 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 they own the Pacific division, which they've been really good against. But I'm like, you can't expect, you know, with the games these guys all have against one another, you can't expect one team to run the table. Like, it's just not going to happen. And at this time of year, so many of them are going to go to overtime. So many of the games, like there's going to be three point games and a lot of the head to head. So, you know, it's, it's next impossible. Like you said, for a team like Edmonton to climb back in, unless you get like a Bruins like run. Um, But those other teams, I think they're so close together um, that it could really go either way, but that's how I see it. I think Vegas will, they just probably come back a little bit as the year progresses. I am kind of curious how the playoffs go. I think Vegas could uh, could surprise in the in the postseason. Um, they could hit a wall. Like, let's not kid ourselves. It's very possible. It, it's very possible they hit a wall in the playoffs. Uh, but the way they're playing, uh, I don't doubt it. I don't see it because if they get Flurry plays well enough in goal, um, they have enough confidence and belief. And uh, what's going on in that city from a you know, when the games are on, from what I've heard, um, it, it's been pretty extraordinary to watch. And, and it's too bad because the, the scenario that happened before the season to that city was, uh, you know, nothing anyone wanted would ever want in their Awful. community of any sort. But that episode, I think, you know, it's pretty clear. And I think you can see it from right away that that whole episode and how the club dealt with the community and the community took to them, I think it's made it that much more special. And then they've won. And You're now right. I don't live in Vegas, but it looks like everyone You're 100% loves right. that team, you know, and, and it's their well, team. Well, and I, I don't think anyone, even you, I don't think you expected them to be, you know, this team to be no. that engulfed within the community and the people that live there this quickly. So, yeah, it's been a great no, story. I, I, I knew they, they would have a fan base. Yeah, but, but not no, like this. No, you, you, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah. You're right, though, in, in what you say, and I've, I've kind of hesitated to get into it a little bit, but to have something to rally around at that point in time, and you look at yeah. some of the other situations, um, and I've, I've, I've used the Hurricane Katrina and the reopening of the Superdome and the New Orleans Saints, and, and after 9-11, when uh, – the, the World Series came to New York and uh, President Bush threw out the first pitch. Um, those are healing moments. They really are. And to have the Vegas Golden Knights step in, and, and I, I believe there would have been a void in the community without the Vegas Golden Knights and how they, uh, how, how they did come. I don't know, I'm not going to say come to the rescue, but they, they did step up. And, and, and you also, along those lines, um, they've been planning opening night for, I mean, two years, let's face it, in, in Bill Foley's head. He, he never thought he wasn't going to get a franchise, and he had his opening night festivities planned. And then to, to entirely scrap that and do what, pull off what they pulled off on opening night um, for the city of Las Vegas. Um, I'll say right now that moment, Vegas became our team. And you're absolutely right about that. 
Um, what, one no, thing about sure. Vegas coming back, they are they do, they do have the best uh, home record in the National Hockey League, and they have 17 at home left and only 11 left on the road. So they could certainly hit the wall. I don't yeah. look well, for I, them to fall I, out of that number one spot. No, 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 I agree. I don't think that'll happen. But I think they will lose the odd game at home. Like, that home record is obscene. And I think they'll still <laughs> lose the odd game here and there, right? Like, I don't expect them to fall out of that top spot in any way. Whether they take top spot in the West, we'll see. Um, they very well might, you know, how the year goes. But, uh, yeah, I expect them to come back to a little bit, not back to the pack, but I think they'll they'll level out a little bit here and there leading up to the playoffs. But I, I do want to ask both of you guys before I forget. Um, your standpoint, do you think Vegas will do anything? And Chris's standpoint, do you guys – or do you think the Islanders will actually do anything? Or are they going to go with that mess they have in goal? Well, go ahead, Chris. I, I, in, terms of the island, in terms of the Islanders, I don't – I really don't see a goalie – uh, out there that's going to be leaps and bounds better. I mean, I guess Robin Leonard is an RFA and he's one year away from, I, I think I heard the other day, he's a year away from unrestricted free agency. I'm not sure if that's correct, but actually Halak has played a lot better. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, the, the amount of saves he's making on a nightly basis, they have to stop turning the puck over. They're going with a lot of young defensemen due to injury. They just got Johnny Boychuk back last night in that crazy game. So, um, what what I would like to see them do is pick up uh, a solid uh, defenseman. Uh, I think I think Mike Green would be a good pickup, uh, and I'd like to see them pick up a bottom six four. There's been some talk about maybe reuniting with Matt Martin if Toronto could pick up some of the money. Uh, so that's been out there uh, out there a bit. They do have a lot of assets that they could trade, but. Uh, Gork Snow, their general manager this week, basically said there's no way on earth he's trading one of his first-round picks. Uh, he has two of them theirs in Calgary's for a rental player, and it made it sound like his two second-round picks also from their cells in Calgary. I don't know if he's really willing to part with one of them. Uh, proof will come into the pudding there, but I know they want to. I know they want to do an ad. Um, they do have a lot of. A good young defenseman in in the pipeline, so that's an area of depth. Uh, so if the right guy was there that they really liked, that they could make a difference, if they could take a guy like that, put one of their second round picks in the deal. I mean, they could roll for a pretty darn good package. I'm sure everyone who's calling them at this stage, as we were talking about earlier in the show, everyone asking for all the selling teams want the sun, moon, and stars. They're probably saying to the Islanders, oh, well, you have two first-round picks, so we have to get one of those. And uh, we have to get, like, Kiefer Bellows in the deal as well. And, and neither neither of those assets are going to be traded. So I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what they're going to do, to be honest with you. I, I, I can go either way uh, with them. wouldn't surprise me if they stand pat because uh, no one really overwhelms me of who appears to be on the market. So I think Mike Green would be a really good fit uh, for them, but, uh, you know, it's going to cost at least one of those pro- secondary defense prospects and uh, and a second-round pick and maybe like a mid-round pick as well. Uh, I would do that personally because they, they have a lot of depth in their organization as is. Uh, so I would make a trade like that if it was presented, but I, I don't know where they fall on that. But uh, yeah. Uh, we'll, yeah, I we'll agree say, with you. I'm, I'm... 
I was going to say, I agree with you on the goaltending front. I don't think they'll make an upgrade uh, because it's just too difficult uh, to go out there and find that goalie. And if you are getting an upgrade, it's going to cost. And, and I think the Islanders are in the tough spot where it's like, well, when it comes to those pieces, until they 100% know what's going on with Tavares, you can't be like just trading away because they may need those pieces, you know, be them in deals to, to bring in a replacement or or something else help build another portion of it. So that that's the wild card with them, right? Um, yeah. And do and you think? Do you see him signing? Yeah, I I do. I know the, yeah. the universe out there is everyone's like uh, <laughs> full full panic, but the Islanders basically can write him. You know, uh, they give him the extra year. They they're going to pay him whatever it takes. They're going to lose him over finances, and he is really happy here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he want. I think this is going to come down to the eleventh hour, like with Steven Stamkos. I think he's just doing his due diligence. The building situation finally got resolved. They're coming back to Long Island, so that's a plus. And granted, it's a couple of years away, but they could be playing uh, at least half the season at the Nassau Coliseum or in the interim. Um, so I, I really do. I mean, I know from an Islander perspective, everyone wished this was done last summer, and the fact that they're uh, having to go through this is, uh, you know, uh, racking up those therapy uh, therapy bills. But uh, <laughs> I think when push comes to shove, I've said this before about any person that uh, if you're really – there's something to be said where you're really happy where you're at. And and then on top of it, the, the, usually you, you take less money to, to be in that situation. In this case, it will be more money. And, you know, not for nothing, but – I mean, the Islanders are a big thing out here in Long Island. Don't get me wrong, but uh, basically, in in the New York dailies out here, there is only one major paper that follows the Islanders 24/7, and that's New York Newsday. So when yeah. John Tavares finishes a practice, there's a smattering of. It's not like playing for the Rangers. There's a smattering of press out there, or this, you know, this press there after the after the crazy game last night. But when you saw when the Islanders went to Montreal recently, went to Toronto, throngs of people, and I'm not saying John's like afraid of the press or anything, but it's a whole different deal. He can go wherever he wants out here, and like he's just a regular guy. I mean, it's not so. There's something to be said for that as well. So when you add all that up, uh, I think come July 1st, he will be an Islander. I think it might take yeah. till July 1st for that to happen, but. Uh, that's how I kind of see it. And I also think that if he was really like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to sign here, I think he's the kind of person he would have told them that long ago. I, I think, and then they would have made what was best for the organization. I, I don't think he's going to just pull, like, do all this and pull the rug out from under them. Hmm. Interesting. That makes sense, though. That's a very... Uh... You know, and I, I honestly think uh, Barzell season um, oh. will help. Will help him. Will help Tavares yeah, decide. Right, right. You know what I mean? That's right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. He feels like, hey, I got another di- dynamic player. He could see. He could see the, uh, uh, you know, the trees in the forest, if you will. He all of a sudden he yeah. said, "Well, I feel good about the team about X, Y, and Z." And then all of a sudden, you know, you have this kid, and I'm not trying to put extra whatever on him, but you know, he had another five point night last night. And you're like, yep. you know what, this kid's, this is his first year in the league. Uh, you know, I wasn't playing like this my first year in the league. He's only going to get better. Um, yeah, that's that's got to be uh, a big 
selling point in terms of uh, the future. Well, and from an organization standpoint too, it gives them that ability to, to you know, feed Barzell some softer minutes off the bat too, right? And it gives them that one-two, that one-two punch up front that makes it far more difficult for teams to deal with them, right? If you got Tavares on yeah, one line absolutely. and Barzell on the other, so. And he's found a real, uh, real good tandem playing with Bailey and, and and Lee. And Bailey's a free agent too, but I think it's the kind of thing if Tavares stays, then they'll 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 also resign Bailey. So I think I th- I think that's how it'll play out. How, how do you see Vegas, Mark, in terms of uh, uh, the deadline? Well, I think well George McPhee said last week that he still doesn't even know what he's going to do so my opinion's probably nonsense I'll, I'll say that right now um i i i think but you you hear a lot that teams have earned the right to compete and they've earned the right for the gm to consider them and what he can do at the trade deadline and this team obviously has done that um it's very weird to say that the knights are in a win now position but they are um, they they put themselves in that position. I don't think. I mean, obviously, let's. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, Chris. Uh, Peron and Neil were taken to be traded this week or next week or before the 26. Um, that's why they're on this roster. I don't see that happening. I don't see either one of them getting moved. I don't see you upset in the apple cart right now. I think that if Vegas does make a move at the deadline. Um, you're going to see – remember, he had uh, 10 or 11 contract defensemen. I think Jason Garrison is up on the big club now. I think that could be a, a little a, a bit of a showcase spot. I think if you can, can move him for a second and a fourth or a third, that's a solid NHL defenseman. Um, there's going to be a market for him. You have Clayton Stoner, who's probably tough to move with his contract. Um, but that's still a guy that could go and maybe catch a fourth. So though, I think that's the kind of moves that are going to be made. I don't see them, you know, I heard, I heard a little bit of the local media talking this week about, um, well, maybe you package, uh, one of those three kids, Cody Glass, Nick Suzuki or Brandstrom, uh, for, for more scoring punch. The team's second overall in scoring. I don't know what they were talking about. I, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, those three guys are going to be your future when the Perons and Neils are gone. Um, I think that would be a bad move to say the least. Um, and I don't think that's what George McPhee is thinking about. He said before many times that his plan is to build this team through the draft and he's got three blue chippers right there. We saw Branstrom in, in the juniors. Um, and and how well he's progressing and he's playing in a men's league already in Sweden. Uh Glass and Suzuki, uh both both have twenty five goals, both have sixty seven, sixty nine points in in the juniors this year. So I don't see him them you know, there's rumors that they're listening to talk for Carlson and and it, that Carlson's game and, and the dynamic offensive ability that he has would be a good fit in the Vegas blue line. And if they were going to give up a Suzuki and a glass and, and one of their first that, that something like that, uh, no, that's, that's not the kind of thing you do when, when, you know, you're, you're where you are in the standings. You don't need to, to upset any future plans by doing any of that. So those are the kind of, kind of moves that I think McPhee might have 
he wants to fill out his draft next season. You know, he doesn't have the third, fourth in the middle of the draft. And if, if he can get those, those types of picks and, and not upset the room. And you know what, if, 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 the, if you keep Neil and Perron and you only sign one of them or, or neither of them, even in the off season, you shake their hands and say, you know what, you helped build something here. We appreciate you. Sorry. We couldn't come to terms on a deal and we wish you luck down the road. And, and everybody's happy about that. The fans are happy about that because they, they were given a chance to compete. The players are happy to go test the market, and it's not going to upset the apple cart uh, of, you know, the growth of this franchise. Because as enamored as this town is and, and how much we've embraced the Golden Knights, um, longevity is still a question mark. I hate, you know, I'm a realist. I, I, I know that if – if you trade away some of these assets to try and do something now, three, four, five years from now, when those pieces could have helped sustain this, this, you know, this quality of play on the ice, um, the Raiders are going to be here. And I'm not saying I don't think the Raiders will have an impact on on attendance for this team. I I think this is Vegas's team. They're Vegas born, to, and you know they they've they've done what they needed to do at tenfold in in this first year, but. You know, remember, Florida Panthers were in the Stanley Cup final in their second year. The rats were raining down on the ice. Everything was all pork chops and applesauce down in South Florida due to a number of moves and a number of reasons and ownership. Um, we've seen what happened to that franchise. So those I don't I don't see any kind of a move involving those players. In fact, I think you might see Suzuki on the roster as a call up if uh Later in the year, if somebody's hurt, I think the franchise is, is really high on Nick Suzuki, and I think he's probably the guy that's closest to the NHL as far as being able to contribute. And if they need a bolster the third-line scoring or, or whatever, um, I think you can give that kid a look. You don't want to burn the entry-level contract, but those are the moves that I think they'll make. What I think for them the rest of the season um, – I put out a tweet, uh, Rob, earlier this week where they needed 13 wins in their final 30 games to get to the 100-point plateau, and the eighth-spot Minnesota needed 20 wins to get to the 101-point mark. And I wasn't going to jinx it, and I didn't define what that meant for anybody. I was just putting it out there. So if they do go on and, and, and win the West, I think it's going to be very for any team to come into the barn here as well as they played at home. And I don't want to, I don't want to jinx anything. I don't want to talk out of school. It'll be a tough series to come in and, and knock the golden Knights out of the playoffs. If they have home ice advantage in, in any series against any team, um, how far can they go? They have the belief, they have the mojo, they have the karma, they're playing for each other. And 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 right, they don't have Connor McDavid, and they don't have Sidney Crosby or or any anybody like that. But what they have is a unit. They have a team, and they're playing for each other. And as well as as Flurry's playing, um, if they if they win the West and and have home ice advantage, they could do damage in the playoffs. And and I I think that's about as far as I'm willing to go. I'm telling everybody here, Hey dude, pump the tires one game at a time. I think this, this, the rest of this month, they've just finished that road trip. 
with booking four-point games against Calgary and San Jose. And, and everyone was looking at the Washingtons and the Pittsburghs uh, and the Winnipegs on that trip. But I really thought that the most important games on this trip was the Calgary game and the San Jose game. And they won both of those games. And now they come home. They have seven straight at home, eight of nine. The only road game is a quick back-to-back with L.A. So they're home for the rest of the month, basically. Um, they only have 11 road games left. If they go on and, and take that home ice, I, 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 they're, they're a tough out. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> yep. Well, in the West, the only other team that I see – the only team that I think is uh, is a real 100% guarantee. Bad matchup. Uh, well, not even bad matchup. I, I only think there's one team in the West that is a, a guarantee to do well in the playoffs, and that's Nashville. So I think it's it's open. Like you said, Vegas, literally any other matchup you look at, and if they were to play a, a Nashville, it wouldn't be until much later in the, in the postseason. Like I, there, I think there's Winnipeg. no team in the West that's well, Winnipeg, that's the other. They're the one on the cusp, right? Where you're like, yeah, Winnipeg yeah. could. But, I, again, I'm not 100% sold. you got to see it, though, sold. in the playoffs. Yeah, in the playoffs. And and even Hellebuck, who's, who's played yeah. really well this year, and I, I know some are surprised by it. I don't know why everyone should be. I was, you know, highly regarded just a year or two ago. But to see him do it in the playoffs, uh, we'll see. That's the, that's the bonus that uh, Nashville has. And Rene and obviously Vegas has with uh, Flurry. They have goaltenders yeah, that absolutely. have uh, gone on runs, right? And hell of a they're might. Done that. They're the, yeah, they're the other team that sits there. Now, could if LA gets in and Quick gets hot? Well, yeah, you know we've seen that song that dance many times before, right? For but sure. We'll see how it plays yeah. out. But yeah, no, you're right. The, the the opportunity is there for this to turn into. Uh, one hell of a story for uh, the Golden Knights. It, it already is, but uh, for it to turn wow. into something even more uh, mind-boggling. Something, yeah. I, I keep saying, just pump the tires. Let's get, <laughs> let's, let's go one at a time. They've got an 11-point lead in the division, the lar- largest lead of any any team in first place right now over their division. So, let's look at Sunday night. Flyers are coming to town. Get those two points. One yeah, game, you know, it's a cliche, but yeah, I bet you do, sir. <laughs> in regulation, no less. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But no, it has it has been an amazing run so far, and right, what the future holds, we'll see. But I, I, you know, I've been I've been down at T-Mobile, and and I've been in Staples Center for playoff games, and. The the atmosphere at T-Mobile is is ridiculous. It it almost feels playoff like every, every night in there. Absolutely helps the home ice. And it, it's funny because that was also one of the questions uh, leading into the season that this you know Twitterverse threw at me was how are they going to have even a home ice advantage when the casino is giving away tickets to everybody and and all those tickets are going to be going to the opposing team's fans and. I said I told everybody then there's a hockey fan base in Las Vegas. We've had hockey teams in Vegas since 1993, and every year, whatever, whether it was the Thunder or the Wranglers and whatever league, the IHL or ECHL, those teams were in the top five of attendance every year they played. Um, and even talking with Quinn Malarchuk on the show when he when he joined us and he talked about 
his days playing here with the Las Vegas Thunder. The joke in the locker room was that the, these desert guys don't know that we're not in the NHL because of how well they turn out and support us and how loud the arena is every night. And, to, you know, that's a, that's a joke. But it, 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 even back in 93, 94, 95, it, it lends credence to there's hockey fans in Las Vegas. And, and, you know, a lot of people move here from cold weather climates, and the one thing they miss is their hockey. And, yeah, we, we see teams like Nashville who travel as well. We see teams like Chicago who travel well. Toronto on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, hey, let, let's not forget about Edmonton. There's travel there, buddy. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they did well as well. There was an obscene but, uh, amount, you know yeah. Does? Yeah, but you know what that does? That just fires up the locals. Um, I agree. Get compete. It's almost like a it's almost like a college atmosphere where they could start to let's say go Oilers go chant, and immediately yeah. go Knights go comes in, and you're going back and forth, yeah. and it's a really great atmosphere for a hockey game, and it 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 fires it. You know, the the players to a man have said. They they absolutely didn't expect it, and they absolutely love playing in front of this crowd. And and the other team usually goes home. All their fan bases, they usually go home losers, and they can go back and say, "Man, that's a great barn. Man, that's a really good team." And I always thought that having that other fan base in attendance would spread the word and and give give uh, let's say a, a note of veracity to what is happening in Las Vegas because word of mouth and, and social media obviously carries the day now, nowadays. And, you, you know, after, after the Nashville game or after the Edmonton game, it, it, it's grudging respect, but it's respect. And yeah. that home ice advantage is going to be really tough, man. Well, and there, uh, it's funny because even like uh, in Toronto uh, on the radio, their um, primetime sports, Bob McCallum, he always brings up, Vegas like it, it's funny like you don't really expect to hear it that much on a national uh, radio station in Canada but he's friendly with McPhee and he was also one of the guys because uh, McCown used to live in Vegas and he was the one who wasn't 100% sold on it working um, but he went to a game early on and there there isn't a week that goes by that he doesn't bring up Vegas on his show at least three four times so it's funny because they've really from an early on point in the season and right through continue to be, you know, uh, the, the center the of, the, of the year. what's going on in hockey. Yeah. Even in Canada. Right. It, it's, and it's like that everywhere. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. And, I love it, it. and it's a great story. And it's because, and I think it's because of the team being what it is, how it was built. And like you said, a lot of good players, but none of those superstars, uh, us as Canadians generally like to get behind that, uh, you know, that underdog type of uh, story. And I think you're, you're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of fans out here going, you know what, if, if my team ain't going to do whatever, I'd, I'd like to see, you know, this Vegas story go to where it yeah. is. And because it's such a good story, right? So it's funny, but uh, well, you get yeah, a lot of that even out here. It was funny too, because then the last road trip, and this is the last point before we wrap up, we're running out of time, but in the last road trip in the shoot arounds, when they were, they, you know, the NHL network would go to the arena before, and, and there's a lot of Vegas Golden Knights jerseys along the boards during the shoot arounds. And there's, you know, the, the, the hats and the sweaters and, and what have you um, in the opposing team's arenas. So they're, they're, they're certainly, you know, notice is being taken and it, it, for, from my standpoint, 
you know, been doing the show for three years. Um, I, I don't want to play the I told you so card, but uh, it, it's certainly gratifying and, and it's been a fun trip to be on so far. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Well, that's all. Chris, you got any great story for sure. No, that's it, man. I, I, sorry for my tardiness jumping on the show. Um, but yeah, it was no, no, great being on with you guys sorry. again. So uh, yeah, no, that's, that's about it. Make, make sure you, uh, you guys all follow Rob on Twitter, oil underscore drop, at oil underscore drop, um, and check out his book. I assume it's available on Amazon. Uh, you bet. Connor McDavid, Hockey's Next Great One. Uh, go get a copy of that. It's a really good read. And follow all his Edmonton Oilers stuff on thehockeywriters.com. Rob, it's always a pleasure talking hockey with you, buddy, and we'll catch up down the road. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Rob. Yes, sir. Well, well, all right, Chris. Uh, we uh, we covered the Oilers today, sir, uh, for quite we some time. We did. Always good talking with Rob and having him back on the on the show. Absolutely. Uh, of course, we'll talk to him to him down the road. Rob's a great guest. Um, final thoughts, Chris? Yeah, I mean, the, the regular it's going to be it's going to be interesting to to read everything that's going to happen. Uh, next week's show will be. Oh, I guess we still have a couple of weeks, right? We still have a couple of weeks before the deadline, so uh, yep, yep. it's two weeks from now. That that, that that will be right on top of it. So yeah, I'm just curious to see uh, each night uh, the standings keep uh, keep changing very quickly, and we got the trade deadline stuff. So very excited. All right, all right. Well, make sure you catch our show on on uh, GrahamStanSports.net, thehockeywriters.com, RussCohenSportsology.com, as well as our own iTunes feed and Blog Talk Radio. Uh, seems like everything went okay as far as the production standpoint today. So we'll see if we can hold on to that. Good luck. Uh, got a lot coming up here in the next few weeks, like Chris said. So make sure you tune in every Saturday at 11 p.m. 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern. We'll get all your hockey talk out of the way and ready for the night Saturday night hockey night action. Um, until next week, for Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone.